Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined in real life by my colleague, Adi Joseph. Adi, how's it going? Ted, I am uh, thrilled to be here for the For the Win podcast, and uh, I think this is going to be an awesome episode. I like, so we're speaking in from USA Today's New York City offices, and this is the room that I have sort of co-opted as the podcasting studio. It's got a nice view of other tall buildings here. Yeah, we have a window view of windows. It's fun sometimes, so these windows happen to be sort of tinted, but it's fun when you're working at your desk at a right behind a window in a high building to like look out and see the sea of other people also going about their sad daily lives at their windows in other offices in crushing midtown Manhattan. Did you ever, you're ever like in a place where you look out the window and you see someone else who happens to be looking out the window and like for that moment you fall into a completely non-sexual love with that person because you're there just you two in this world that exists between your windows and your buildings. Right. You're like, hey man, how's like, it going? We like, are the only people in the world right now. Yeah, no, I haven't had that experience. That's, <laughs> no, that's, okay. a, that's never happened to me. I just <laughs> studiously avoid making human contact. <laughs> I prefer to sort of just like clam up in my little shell and pretend I'm alone here. Mm-hmm. For I am. Uh, let's go. So uh, before we get into it, I want to say uh, we have recently had some issues with our iTunes feed. They are now fixed, so you can subscribe to the For the Win podcast on iTunes. Uh, please rate us, review us, subscribe. We would appreciate it. Love the feedback. Anything you've got to say, we want to hear. Uh, also, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud. Check us out all of those places. But it's the first show of the week, and that means. I like to go through some of my favorite things that happened. Adi, you've done this before, correct? I have. So you're prepped, and I'm prepped, and we've got some stuff to talk about. And since I like to give you the last word, I want to go first and say something I have enjoyed in recent days, and I've got some takes on it, and it's not entirely positive, but the World Baseball Classic is going on right now, and I know you are obviously concerned. You're a basketball guy, and so you're wrapped up in the basketball world right now, but I'm telling you, as a baseball guy, there's baseball happening. It's competitive baseball, and it has been pretty fun to watch. I watched uh, Cuba versus Japan this morning in a fairly lopsided game. At least what I saw, Japan was kind of teeing off on pretty lousy Cuban pitching, but it's fun to see... I mean, it's fun to see baseball that people are playing hard at, not like spring training baseball where it actually matters. It's also fun to see what the best pitchers in Cuba, now that most of the best players from Cuba have sort of made their way to the United States, what do the guys behind look like? And and uh, who are some of these names of the Japanese players who might come over here soon and, and, and become you know, major league players? And uh, I just get a sense about the, the differences, whether it's aesthetic or fundamental between the sport, you know, as the sport differs in, in different places, I enjoy it. Yeah, I love international play in all sports. Um, I think basketball is a really more visible one because the aesthetics are so important in basketball, mm-hmm. and there are such obvious identity factors when it comes to, um, you know, the former Yugoslav nations all have very clear-cut identity. Uh, the you know, Gr- Greece ran those pick and rolls. They don't have as as much talent other than the Greek freak these days, but in the mid-2000s, they ran pick and rolls on every single play, and it drove the, the Americans crazy, and, you know, the U.S. has its more individual style. Uh, so- soccer kind of permeates basketball in 
South America and Western Europe, and it's really, I just, I love that about Basketball International, but I really, I was all on board with the very first World Baseball Classic, and I continue to be, and obviously, Japan and Cuba have been two of the big powers in that tournament, and the reason being that they have the true homegrown talent that takes it seriously. I just wish Americans would take it seriously, and I know that they're not paid the millions of dollars to do it, and I know that a lot of Major League Baseball fans just hate it. But you know what? I kind of think it's a cool thing, and it would only, but it would be so much cooler if everyone just took it seriously when they entered. I think it's a cool thing that could be cooler in a lot of ways. I don't blame a guy for saying, like, Noah Syndergaard this year, uh, the Mets pitcher said, well, I'm employed by the New York Mets, right? So, you know, I don't think it's an anti-patriotic type thing. He just wanted to, he wants to make himself as good as he possibly can be for the team that is furnishing his paycheck. And I hear that. I think that there are, I think that the timing, and, and as everyone will point out, there's really no perfect time to do something like the World Baseball Classic. I almost wish they did it as a single elimination tournament, even though I realize that's a ridiculous thing to do in baseball, but have a central location that switches you know, every three years, every four years, however often you do it. And in my head, it's like a mid-season thing. Instead of the All-Star break, once every four years, you, you skip the All-Star game entirely, and you do like a seven-day single elimination tournament in baseball. I feel like that would be more of a draw. I think people would uh, get a little bit more into that because you can get some sort of true Cinderella runs. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, having it in the middle of the season, you'd have pitchers who are a little bit further along in the, in the process, guys who can give you six innings without risking themselves. And I think that you probably get better baseball. My, my beef with the current incarnation of the World Baseball Classic primarily is that it doesn't seem like there's uh, uh, you really need a close connection to a country to play for it. Like basically every Major League Baseball player whose last name ends in a vowel is on the Team Italy, including <laughs> like Brandon Nimmo, a Mets minor leaguer who's from Wyoming and I've met and sort of sounds like Matthew McConaughey. Like he just doesn't, that's not an Italian guy. I mean, at least based on like my, uh, even the New Yorker's perception of what an Italian guy might be like, like my family who are filled with, my family is filled with Italian guys. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, I would actually rather see a team of terrible native Italian baseball players getting completely walloped by Japan than this team of like quad A, triple A, double A American dudes with Italian last names playing, you know, playing well against these teams. I feel like, you know, again, like that, that same thing you just mentioned with basketball, seeing those distinctions in regional styles is what appeals to me about a tournament like this. And while it would certainly lead to some lopsided results in baseball, I still kind of want to see it. Like, I kind of want to see how bad our... Like, I was looking up the Italian Baseball League recently. A guy by the name of Ronnie Cedeno, who had been a utility player in the majors for a few years, sort of a light-hitting middle infielder, had like a 950 OPS in Italy last year. I don't know how Ronnie Cedeno came to be playing in Italy. I don't know why. I can't imagine there wouldn't be work for him in Korea or Japan. But nonetheless, he played in Italy and was like the best hitter there. 
Um, but that he didn't, I was actually kind of surprised that a guy who recently played in the majors wouldn't be even better than that against Italian competition. So I don't know. I want to see what baseball looks like there. And I feel like what I'm getting from the World Baseball Classic is not really that. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, have you seen, uh, I believe his name is Shohai Otani? Uh, I've only seen him on video. He is well, so he's not playing in this World Baseball Classic. Oh, he's, okay. Uh, he's rehabbing an injury. It doesn't sound like it's a big thing. It sounds like it's sort of the same idea as Cindergard, where Otani wants to play for his team. He's not uh, necessarily for invested. those for those who don't know. This is this 22 year old Japanese player who is both one of the best hitters he and is, one of the best pitchers in the Nippon League, which is the best second best league in the world yeah he is I, I would say he is undoubtedly the best pitcher there and he is also he doesn't hit as often as he or the guy's Babe Ruth relatively speaking he doesn't bat as frequently as he does you know because he's not he's not an everyday position player he has played some time in the outfield and he does DH but when he hits he is probably a top five hitter in Japan which at his age alone is extremely impressive but to be doing it while you're also pretty clearly the best pitcher in Japan and a guy I think who could come over and join a major league rotation tomorrow if, if uh, the posting process were better and different uh, and allowed for that to happen. Uh, the Basically, if Rick Ankiel's one year as a good pitcher had overlapped with Rick Ankiel's many years as a pretty good outfielder, that is this guy. I feel like Otani... And probably a better pitcher. I feel like a, probably... A, a similar uh, hitter, better pitcher. I would feel like even... I would even say... So, Ankiel's one year of pitching success, he was really good. Really good. Um, but, yeah, I would guess better pitcher, better hitter, honestly. Because Ankiel couldn't get on base. He, he could change baseball. This guy uh, could change baseball. And he wants to. We're just throwing that cool. take so, out in the middle of a World Baseball Classic. Well, it's, what's talk. fun is that he wants to. Because he... Um, he considered he was a, a huge uh, prospect as a teenager in Japan. Uh, he discussed, you know, coming over to the U.S. as an 18-year-old before he uh, signs on with the Japanese team. But the Japanese team was willing to let him develop as both a hitter and a pitcher, and that was important to him. So I think, and, and now in the new process, uh, for all its flaws. Uh, teams, it used to be one team could pay the highest posting fee to negotiate with a Japanese player, and then that was the only team that could negotiate. Now, there's a max posting fee, and every team who's willing to meet it can negotiate with the guy. And I think that giving him that agency means we might get to see him used as a... I don't think you'll see a pitcher outfielder here, but I think you there's some slim chance if a team thinks he can pull it off, that there would be a forward-thinking American League team signs him on as a starting pitcher who DHs maybe two, three times a week. And I think that is one of the coolest ideas, ideas I've ever So heard. cool. So cool. And Ted, I think this is a good transition into uh, another prospect talk that we're, uh, we're my, my yeah, thing. Your number one I, thing, we've, we've spent a lot of time on yeah. my thing. So I think that uh, my, my number one thing that I like this week is fast people. And specifically, that's John Ross, who just ran a 4 uh, in the NFL scouting combine. And I saw a lot of people just saying, hey, man, 40 doesn't matter. 40 times doesn't I want game speed. And I'm like, you know what? I well, like watching true. someone. For I'm not that's saying. True. That's oh, true, I agree. Okay. But I enjoy watching someone run super, super fast. Yeah. We love Usain Bolt so much we can't enjoy a guy's 40 without some 
Twitter egg telling us how little a 40 matters. We know a 40 doesn't matter that much. We know that guys who are really slow have good game speed and vice versa, but I enjoyed watching John Ross burn it. I loved our For the Win post comparing him and Tom Brady and their speeds and how different that was. And did you see the Detroit Lions writer who ran at sub 640 in heels? That was, I did see that, and that was impressive. I love watching fast people. Uh, I, I think fast people are cool. I have never been a fast person. Exactly. That's I've never been anything close. I would say that, like, in fact, my outside of my, like, complete and, and frequently referenced inability to make a basketball go in the basketball hoop, <laughs> uh, that my complete lack of speed is the second biggest athletic crutch I've got working for me. So I kind of like watching fast people, but I also... I admire I, fast I, people. I kind of resent them. I kind of resent them. <laughs> um, again, kind of, so the fastest guy, the fastest guy I ever played sports with was my friend. He was a friend of mine, and he was the he he wasn't the starting quarterback on our football team, but he sort of took over as the quarterback on our football team when our starting quarterback, who was another one of my friends, kept getting hurt. Uh, just super fast, not like a great thrower, smart guy, and incredibly quick. Just so fast. But also very small, um, very thin, sort of wiry guy. And we used to play football just with my friends on Thanksgiving. And every year this guy, who was way faster than the rest of our friends, would come and he'd wear cleats and he'd wear sort of tight-fitting clothing so it was hard to grab him. And he would completely dominate for his speed. And one time, and I still kind of feel bad about it because I can still think about this moment, like he went up to catch a pass over the middle and I had that sort of classic opportunity to, to like a basically defenseless, defenseless receiver hit him coming across. And I remember like how incredibly excited I was. So I was so frustrated from years of this guy dominating us in every speed-based sport. And then wrapping him up and hitting him and hitting him hard and feeling in, his ar- in my arms like just how skinny this guy was and how mean this was that I was doing this thing that I'm doing to my friend and like the satisfaction I'm feeling in hitting him and that was like a weird conflicting thing that still sticks with me and to his credit he bounced right back up but uh, it is a hit that like some of my other friends still refer to as like an extremely satisfying thing to watch because we were all so fed up with this kid dominating us. All right, so Ted hates fast people. I don't like fast people. Adi loves fast people, so we got that straight. All right, that's fair. Uh, so fastest guy in basketball right now? That's a you know there's a lot of debate and they'd all say themselves. I think it's it's got to be John Wall. He's just he's a blur. Um, you know, shorter players don't have the same length. And so it sometimes looks like short guys are faster. Maybe that's somewhat true of your friend, but it sounds like he was just fast. No, he wasn't that short. He was like he was like five eleven, six foot. He was just yeah. skinny. But yeah, I mean, John Wall's crazy to watch. A fast guy in baseball, probably Billy Hamilton. Probably Billy Hamilton. And so there's there's a few like uh, Terrence Gore, who's a Royals. I don't want to say minor leaguer because they tend to call him up for the postseason as like a pinch runner guy. Uh, hasn't hit a ton, but he is extremely fast, could be up there. Uh, Billy Burns, who's a, an A's outfielder. The problem with the baseball guys is that none of the, or at least very few of the extremely fast guys can actually hit. And so you're like, well, wow, when Billy Hamilton gets on base, look out. But Billy Hamilton just doesn't get on base nearly enough. Three, three guys that I will always remember being ridiculously fast in baseball. Homer Bush. 
Tom Goodwin, who I think is definitely the fastest guy I've seen. Now the Mets' first base coach. Really? Yeah. He was a bad base runner, though. He got caught all the time. I believe he is now their base runner. <laughs> <laughs> he was, but I remember, I remember and him. Then, and then um, pre-everything that went wrong for him, Otis Nixon, who was actually a really good baseball oh, player. Otis Nixon, extremely fast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, also, Even by the end, even when he was on the Rangers and he looked like he was 60 and he was only like 36. He aged poorly. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll stay away from what went wrong with Otis Nixon. It's been a rough well, I mean, if, you, if you follow up. But Otis Nixon's had kind of a rough go of it in Google general. Otis Nixon if yeah. you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can see what he looks like now. It's... It could be better. It could be better. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be any harder on Otis Nixon than life has been. So um, we'll just. I'll just say that uh, Deion Sanders was also an extremely fast. Oh yeah, player. Deion, Deion. And, and Bo Jackson, um, both NFL players, obviously. Uh, I'll give you another good thing, and I'm looking at it right now in your hands. Uh, this is my second good thing of the week, and this is a good thing of every week for me. It's coffee. Love coffee. What and, is better than coffee? And Ted, we're on the same page on this. I know very few other people who are on, but I think it's increasing. We both are iced coffee year-round. I This is my first year as a year-round iced coffee guy. I love it, and I don't think I will ever go back. I'd say that the only times I get hot coffee would be when it's so cold that I'm concerned holding an iced coffee <laughs> will make my hands too cold. And then I will get hot coffee. Other than that, if and and or at a situation where you know that the iced coffee is like four day old hot coffee that has just been poured into the jug over and over again at the gas station or whatever, um, that I would avoid too. But if someone's serving up like cold brew iced coffee and it looks like a reputable coffee place, then I am one hundred percent. I'm choosing that. Any any place that um, I will go any coffee shop, I will get the iced coffee. If I'm stopping at a gas station, for that exact reason you just said, I'm not drinking gas station iced coffee because I do not trust it. But I, I, I told you this, it's not great, but what I do is I just buy in bulk. I buy those, not even really in bulk, they, they don't make bulk yet, but those pre-bottled like uh, 32 ounce or whatever they are, Starbucks or um, Khalifa Farms, I think it's called, or... Whatever. Is it concentrate? Is it concentrated? Some then? of them are okay. concentrated. Um, I don't even put ice in it. I can drink the cold brew concentrate from Starbucks without ice in it, because I'm a weirdo who doesn't put anything in coffee like and likes really, really cold brew. Yeah. strong coffee. But yeah, I'm. I have over the last like five years slowly developed a complete and total and crippling addiction to coffee to the point that my day is ruined if I don't have it. And uh, so right now I'm drinking coffee. The idea of having a day without coffee is just like so far from my mind at this point. Like you're like my day is ruined if I don't have it. Like my day doesn't even start if I if I don't have it. Like, that's serious true. Like I and I can't figure it out usually. Like I wake up and it's like what's wrong? What feels wrong? What do I need? I feel incomplete. And then it's like oh I need coffee. Like I was just we were talking. We we're we we're both in the office. I was filling out expense reports. Today and like I drink an embarrassing amount of coffee. Yeah, someone has to read my expense reports and see like every two dollar and seventy seven cents charge at every gas station, and I have to go into every little thing in our in our system and say why I was spending two dollars and seventy seven cents at that gas station at that hour. And one hundred percent of the time, the reason is coffee. I have it so bad, and it, I, I should stop. I realize like there's no way. 
that, and, and I get that caffeine isn't like the worst drug you could be on, but there is no way anyone should be drinking as much caffeine as I am. And, and like, I worry that I'm telling you this, like, on, and like, by the end of this episode, my heart might explode because <laughs> there's like a 50 50 shot of which one of us is more likely. So, <laughs> um, I will say that, like, there are many times in my life when I can't tell if I have a headache because I've had too much coffee or too little. Yes. Um, yes. And so that's the answer is usually too little, which is a really sad state of right. But then, but then every once in a while it's too much, and you have another coffee to try to upset, it, and you're like, oh no, what did I do? Um, but to the cold brew thing, I will say, and I, while I appreciate and support your laziness, uh, I recently switched. My wife gave me a cold brew thing for Christmas. I didn't know that I would use it as much as I have. Uh, it is extremely easy. You basically just dump water and coffee into this bucket, and then it's got a little filter and a, and a plug on the bottom, and you empty it out into the pitcher. Uh, it makes consist coffee, uh, cold brew coffee that I would say is consistently better than what I can get at any coffee shop because even good coffee shops I find still will occasionally give you like a pretty sour cup of cold brew coffee. Yeah. Whereas mine at home, not only do I get to experiment with different coffee varieties and such that are available at my grocery store, but uh, <laughs> it comes out like very consistently good and smooth and I love... I love that iced coffee. It has like a little touch of like almost like sweetness to it that I don't think exists. It feels like the uh, the hot coffee tends to be a lot more uh, acidic than uh, than iced it, coffee. It is literally. And, and so I love like I think once you adjust to that that cold brew lifestyle, that's that's how I'm gonna roll. Cold now. cold brew is actually better for you because of the lower acidity and everything. It is good for you. That I was I'm gonna run with that. Uh, give me your second good thing of the week. My second good thing of the week is um, a younger brother achieving, and that's Seth Curry. And Seth Curry... Tell me, yeah, the, so, so I had to ask you about this before the show. Yeah. I, I'm not following the, bas- the basketball world as closely as you are. I've heard of the guy. I know he exists. I know they're Del Curry's kids, and I know about Steph Curry. Tell me what Seth Curry has been up to. So Seth Curry was a kid who played for four franchises before this season, and each of them gave up on him. And he just was never going to get over the hump just being Steph's younger brother. And now this year, and really over the last month, or even less than a month, Seth Curry has been the leader of the resurgent Dallas Mavericks, who have really gone from being one of the worst teams in the NBA to into the playoff race. And Rick Carlisle has them playing tremendous basketball, but Seth has been shooting Lights out. He's like at around 50% over his last seven games or eight games from three. He is playing honestly better than his brother at this moment. And uh, it's been very cool to watch a player who uh, had been kind of cast off as imitation Steph, making a name for himself and doing it the way uh, his skill set always sort of... Because he looks a bit like his brother. He's shaped a bit like his brother. He's a bit wider in the shoulders and one or two inches shorter actually but um it's it's been cool to watch a guy step out of his brother's shadow like that and it doesn't always happen in sports because a lot of younger brothers just aren't as good as their better older brothers well it works it works backwards sometimes too right sometimes you'll see the the younger brother right like uh 
Uh, I mean, it's not the best. Blake Griffin and Taylor Griffin was a really good one. Uh, Jeff Weaver and Jared Weaver. Like, Jared Weaver was better. It had a better peak than Jeff Weaver, yeah. uh, to use a, a baseball example. Like, sometimes it's like... But it's rare when the older brother is a super-duper star. For sure. To see the... And maybe BJ and Justin Upton could have been that if Justin had... I mean, Justin's really good, obviously. Well, and Justin surpassed BJ. Yes, but... Yeah. but I don't know Melvin. that BJ was really Melvin. yes Melvin Melvin yeah. uh, Upton Jr. Um, I, I I don't know if Melvin really qualified as a superstar. That's why I said it doesn't quite no, qualify. No, he was kind of a bigger name than he was a great player. Yeah, he was a pretty because of his the fact that he was boss man Jr. Right. But uh, you know, there's there's very few cases where the younger brother of a superstar turns out to literally be better or even close, and usually they end up just being a guy like a Billy Ripken. Who just hangs on? <laughs> Billy Ripken, good example. I we mean, all nice, know what he's famous super for. Super nice dude. Uh, Has the best trading card of all time. Great, great baseball card. That <laughs> you Google, um, which I own somewhere. And I own the I own the edited version. I'm gonna say comfortably not as good a baseball player as Cal Ripken. Just yes. not as good a baseball <laughs> player as older brother and living legend Cal Ripken. Maybe better on air personality. It also, it also, another thing that Cal, Cal and Billy versus Steph and Seth have. I really even feel a stronger connection to the younger brother when the older brother is named after the dad. And a lot of people don't realize this. Wardell Stephen Curry is both Del Curry and Stephen Curry. Huh? I did not know that. So um, they have the exact same name. So then Seth has to take a bastardized version of the name. Billy just took a completely different name. But, like, you're really living in your brother's shadow when your dad is a name in sports, your brother is a superstar in sports, they share the same name, and you're the younger brother. Like, that's a lot to overcome. The, the, now, Her- the Hairstons, Jer- Jerry Hairston, then Jerry Hairston Jr., and then Scott Hairston. And Scott Hairston had a nice career. Probably not quite. I was just thinking, I just think I thought of one. Sandy Alomar is the older, right? Yeah. Sandy Alomar Jr. is the older of the two the two brothers and then Roberto obviously ended up being the much better player much better player yeah um, Roberto is but very different sorts of player yeah uh, so that's a, weird that they came from the same gene pool it, it is kind of weird I never <laughs> really even thought about that before but yeah that is uh, they're not yeah they're very like like the Sandy Alomar was like about as plodding a catcher guy as you could imagine and Roberto Alomar was like one of the best athletes in baseball yeah. low key Sandy hit in my opinion, as a growing up a Yankees fan, um, the single most crushing moment of my Yankees fandom, because of probably more my age than anything else, was when Sandy Alomar hit that home run against Mariano Rivera in the 97 uh, first round of the playoffs and ended the Yankee season after they had won the 96 title. And that was an era where Yankee fans just felt invincible. And I think by 2001, I was probably just older and a little more experienced in life to understand that you can't win every single World Series. Right, but, and by 2001, they just won four, right? Yeah, so right. it was like, ah, whatever, you give the Diamondbacks this yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Um, do you have do you have older siblings? I do not, do you? Okay. I do. And I can say that uh, this very same experience where it totally applies to me growing up in that I, uh, I went to the same school as my older siblings. My sister uh, is great at many things, and... Uh, but that wasn't the issue because I looked exactly like my older brother. My older brother coming through school 
was this incredible math and science student when he uh, when he went got physics. I remember like it was some achievement that he got a five on the AP test and an eight hundred on the SAT too. Like he got a perfect score on all of the different physics tests, and like the physics department in my high school made a big deal out of that, and, and everybody was psyched about it. So I always felt, and I went to high school with this chip on my shoulder thinking that because I looked exactly like him and because I had the same last name and because all the teachers kept calling me by his name, which is like a thing teachers do. You always kind of accidentally call a kid by the name you learned the last time around. Which in my case was like a little bit uh, unnerving because he was eight years older than me. So you're like, how are you still calling me by this name of this kid you had eight years ago? But that was the kind of impression he left on the teachers. And so I felt confident. Like I, I feel actually that I am in this job because of how angry I was going through school about the un, what I felt were unreasonable standards set for me by math and science teachers who were expecting me to achieve the way my brother did. And I just was never going to, like, I just, I think that I got turned, because I don't think it was that a lack of aptitude. Like, I think I probably could have been pretty good at math if I really applied myself, but I was just, like, my reaction, the way I am, was just to be like, oh, yeah, you think I'm going to be good at math? Well, screw you then. I'm going to be terrible at math. <laughs> Which is probably not the best for my career. But, you know, and then I wound up an English major, and it worked out okay. Ted, you are, uh, you have built up your anger. And, yeah. Um, I think uh, that's why it's important that we get to something you like. Um, that is a good point. That is a good point. What is something else? Like, oh, my third thing. I had one. <laughs> Do we remember it? What was my third thing? Golf courses. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Um, Luke posted something on For the Win, and it's about statues at golf courses. I don't have a lot of time for golf courses. I'm not a big golfer. I, uh, to, I think it's a Rogers Hornsby quote, maybe. It says, like, when I hit a ball, I want someone else to go chase it. <laughs> and I feel that way, and I don't know. Golf's not... Uh, Golf's not really my sport. I'm just not. I'm not good at it. I can't. I can't hit the ball and make it not make a hard right turn uh, at, at in midair. No part of me believes I can see a ball on a tee and not hit it as hard as I possibly can. That's my only instinct, and I don't really know if I want to change it. But they are now putting in these statues at golf courses, and the one statue that is especially notable. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up so I can read you the details. Uh, this is from uh, Luke Curtinine's post, and I, I really hate giving Luke a shout on the podcast, but we're going to keep doing it. Uh, this week's PGA Tour, the week's PGA Tour event has one of the coolest statues in sports, and he is right. Uh, it is at, where is this? It's Innsbruck, Innisbruck Resort and Golf Court Club in Florida. This is why I hate golf. Ho- what? All these things are named like such... Innisbrook. Innisbrook. Yeah. Like, we're in the old world. Well, yeah, Come and, on, like, man. that's the thing. And, like, I, like I, I think I believe I've said on the podcast before is, like, I have a very Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack approach to golf. Like, I, if, if I'm going golfing, I am making a mockery of the whole uh, uh, whole thing. But uh, that's why I like this, this statue. There is just a giant snake statue on this golf course, and it's terrifying looking. And it doesn't look like it has any place in in golf. It, it looks it, like some biker's tattoo. Yeah, it looks exactly like a biker's tattoo. Uh, it is completely without subtlety or tact, and <laughs> I love that. Um, it looks like it might eat a golfer, and I love that too. And I kind of feel like this is the next step towards what I want to see in golf, which is 
to go back to Caddyshack from Caddyshack 2, um, which was not a very good movie, but uh, when Jackie Mason takes over the, the golf course and turns it all into basically a giant mini golf course where Randy Quaid is allowed to run amok and interfere with golfers, that's, what, that's the golf I want to play up to and including letting Randy Quaid loose on any golf course I'm playing. Caddyshack is the best thing about golf. And I think that Caddyshack 2 is an abysmal movie, but that's a tremendous idea. That could be the second best thing about golf. I personally am a big fan of the idea of just random impediments in golf. That's why I like mini golf. I think mini golf is fun. I have literally never gone real golfing in my life. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's nice outside. You hit the ball. You go chase after it. You suck. I suck. Like, you, you're going to suck. It's like one of these things like surfing where it's going to take you so long That's to master it. That's the problem. It that it's not even worth mastering it because by the time I'm going to master it, I'm going to be like 65 years old and it's ready to die. So And so one, of the, one of the issues is when you suck, and especially when you really suck like you've never done it, like I haven't, no one even wants to play with you because you take so long. Yeah, yeah. That's like, it thing. would take me seven hours to finish a golf well, course. Well, so the upside to me in that situation is that I am extremely impatient. And so I will just be like, hey, guys, just kind of let me go on my own. And I'll hit the ball, and then I'll go run after it, and then I'll hit it again. I'll be like, don't worry, I'm keeping score over here. Like, you guys don't have to, like, all wait for me. I'm just going to do my own thing. Just I'm going to try to play this whole this whole hole with my putter, see how that goes. Like, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of, because by, if, especially if it's like 18 holes, there's no way I have that type of attention span. Like by the time, like by the seventh hole, I'm like, hey, what if I like try to putt with my driver right now? Is that cool? And that's that's how I like out. So the, I would say the, the that aspect doesn't really pertain to me because I, I, I'm extremely conscious of the fact that I might be holding people up and instead just sort of sprint around the course chasing my wayward golf balls. <laughs> but uh, but mini golf, we can agree, excellent sport. Excellent. Would you excellent so, fun sport? I, I compared it. I said it's like a, it's like outdoor bowling. It's like outdoor bowling. Everyone's done it. Everyone enjoys it. You don't think to do it all that often, but when you do, you usually are happy you did. I think to do it fairly often. I wish that there were more mini golf options available to me, and I especially lament. And again, another good Luke article was. Ugh. Are we just? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's rough. Um, <laughs> he's right in the other room, probably really enjoying the spikes in traffic this podcast is about to send him. But uh, he he lamented also and wrote about sort of the death of putt-putt courses in the United States, which is not something I had really noticed before that article. But uh, he, you know, he made uh, some pre- presented some compelling reasons why it might be happening. What I like, and and I find too many t- times nowadays. When I play mini golf, it's like a terrain-based course. Like there'll be some hills, there'll be some little ditches and such, and like some you know banks that you want to put the thing off. But I like a clown that's gonna spit the ball back out at you, a windmill, a ramp, a water hazard with a stupid bridge over it that you're you're obviously supposed to be tempted to try to hit the ball on the bridge, and you can clearly tell it's better to just go around. But you're gonna play the bridge anyway because you're dumb and you want to hit the ball. And I don't know. That's that's mini golf for me. Like I, enough of the train. I want spinning stuff. Yeah, I also like a mini golf course that um, just includes like just crap, like a little bit crappiness. Like I don't want a really well kept mini golf course. I want it to be like a place that a, a parent of six took their kids and just let them loose. 
I like that feeling, and like I like seeing like a cigarette stub and right. And like, to me, that that's what mini golf is, and, and maybe and like that's to me just like why why I go mini golfing is because it's just like just like bowling, it's just something that's actually surprisingly fun to pass the time and you know get me outside which is the nice part you want to play like like where the seam in the artificial turf is starting to tear and playing around that seam is part of the strategy you know you have to look and see like hey this mini golf course is coming apart i need to adjust the way i would otherwise hit the ball because of poor upkeep yeah Ah, I like it all the ways. I like it. I like it in all of its forms. I, I think I am I, for someone who again has very little time for golf. I have tons of time for mini golf. I would, anytime I pass a mini golf course, I if I'm with someone else, I don't think I would play mini golf alone. That would probably be weird. But if I'm with my wife or I'm with friends or whatever, and I see mini golf, I want a mini golf. That's just it's just always going to be that way. I think that uh, if if you were to tell me to choose between outdoor activities, mini golf would be pretty high on my list. I, I actually love um, frisbee golf as well, so I like all forms of golf that aren't golf. Okay. But, yeah. See, my number one is uh, going to the batting cage, but the batting cage is often attached to a mini golf place. Yeah, and it's often indoors, so it doesn't always count. Uh, that's true. But I like an outdoor batting cage because the ball tends to fly further because um, you get like a little, more, little bit more room. Give me your last good thing of the week. My last good thing has been, um, it's not timely at all, but Doesn't I wanted matter. to end on it because it's really important to me. I've um, been listening to a lot of Wu-Tang Clan, and I know that you're also a fan of the Wu-Tang Clan, and what I've come, and I've also been watching, um, re-watching The Wire a little bit, slowly. Um, and I just think Method Man, I have come to the determination that Method Man is the greatest person in rap history. Not the greatest rapper. Not the greatest rapper. But Good rapper. Very extremely talented rapper who didn't even like care enough to slave over s- classic albums the same way a lot of rappers do, or or put out as much material as say even Raekwon or Ghostface. Not nearly. But yeah. yeah. But he had his super talented rapper. I would say and, I would say charismatic yeah, above all. So, more than so more than it's like oh wow like Method Man wrote some awesome. Well, he also he also had this flow. He could go on any any beat. He yeah. could make anything work on any beat. But I think in terms of personality, there's not a single person in rap history that I like more and whose presence I liked more. And what I really love about so here's a perfect example. So Method Man was the only as, as you brought up earlier. Method Man was the only guest appearance on Ready to Die, Notorious B.I.G.'s classic debut. He also was on All Eyes on Me. Him and Red Redman make an appearance on Tupac's double album, classic double album from 96, which was basically right at the beginning of the, the peak heat of East vs. Right. West. Method Man bridged gaps in rap. Because everybody likes Method Man. Every right, single yeah. person liked him. Because all he wanted to do was, you know, light it and pass it. And that was that was Method Man to a T. He's super talented at everything he does. We both love How High and Method and Red, the very very short lived TV show that he and Red Man had. Um, the Blackout albums with him and Red Man were fantastic, and he just seems like the kind of guy you want to be around. And I, Ted, you've been around him. Uh, I was around him once briefly for like 15 seconds as I saw him get out of a car 
and go into my favorite wings place in Brooklyn. And I was like, well, that is incredible. Method Man and I have this have also on top of the same taste in, in clearly in hip hop since I love the Wu Tang and in movies ultimately uh, Method Man and I also have the same taste in wings and I appreciate that it was a really good wings place uh, I also want to bring up uh, this is one of the great uh, I can't find it Cheese Wagstaff is um, from The Wire might be the most obnoxious character in The Wire. And yet, I love every minute he's on screen. I mean, that guy m- committed one of the biggest street fouls that anyone did in The Wire. And yet, and, and, and you know... Even by, by selling... I don't want to spoil okay. anything. I don't know if our listeners have watched The Wire. You should watch The Wire if you haven't watched The Wire. Yeah, you should. Anyway, but, but yes, by selling out that one person... I still love Cheese just because I love Method Man so right. much. Right, well, because he's so, I mean, he's so really, like, charismatic is the yeah, word. Yeah, like, he's on the it, screen and you're just like, oh my god, I just, I He is like, a magnetic dude to look at. And, like, even when he, like, his final moment in The Wire is this really dumb monologue, <laughs> right? And it's, the character's supposed to be dumb. It's a really dumb monologue. And even then, you're like, I kind of believe him. I'm on board with this. Like, yeah, it's Method Man. He can't, he can't be wrong. He made the rock wilder. <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 cool, and I, I think it's cool also that you can see Cheese Wag says Wu Tang clan, uh, clan tattoo. Yes. Because why wouldn't he have a Wu Tang tattoo? <laughs> you know, uh, but I want to get back. I want to get back to a couple of Wu Tang points uh, for the Wu Tang fans out there and the children. Uh, what for? You say you've been getting down on the Wu Tang lately. What album? Or is there a particular? Actually, there- I've been listening to a lot of the uh, stuff that I sometimes ignore, which is the stuff sort of. The in the in the early two thousands era, like I did not, I at the time I listened to the W and Iron Flag a lot, but over the last five years I haven't really listened to the W and Iron Flag that much. Uh, to Cal to to Cal two thousand and to Cal zero, um, certainly very uneven albums. Again, Meth never cared about making a classic album. There's no only built for Cuban. Yes, in the right. Meth, and there's no Liquid no, Swords. Like no. that's the opposite of Liquid Swords. Even more than Dirty was. Meth was very laid back about the fact that he was so talented at rap. He did not care to be the top of the totem pole, which is why everyone liked him. I think, was he also the youngest guy in the Utah? Oh, Utah? I believe you god was. Okay. Because that's why they called him Baby Yui. Oh, I right. think he, I have to look it up. I feel like, it, it felt like he was like sort of like the, and to go back to an earlier part, like he was almost like the super talented kid brother in yeah. the Wu-Tang Clan, wherever it was like, okay, like let's just let this guy do his thing, like, He's because he was slightly because like the rest. I believe of the- there's a story that Capadonna taught Method Man how to rap, which is like one of those most extreme examples of the pupil overcoming the right. master. Yeah. Instantly. <laughs> I, I feel like his the, even like his subject matter is so far off for like the rest of the Wu Tang Clan. It's like so like weirdly philosophical and like all the samurai stuff and you know and and like far out. And like Method Man's mostly rapping about weed. Yeah. Right. So it was like it was like he was like that one guy, sort of like like on like the the late '90s hip hop straight and narrow, so to speak, in this like ultimately like really weird outfit. Can I tell you something embarrassing? One time, someone made a reference to "Hey, you get off my cloud," and I thought it was a Method Man reference, not a Rolling Stones reference. Yeah. 
and so like I just started. You don't know me. Yes, I. Yeah. <laughs> and the person looked at me, and this was like an older person. I was like, couldn't even believe they knew a Method Man <laughs> reference, but I was also like, yes. I know this, I'm in on this, and they looked at me like, oh my god, this person doesn't know the, the Rolling Stones? Yeah. And I, I was like, I kind of know the Rolling Stones, but honestly, I know like, the Rolling Stones because Method Man mentioned yeah, them. Right. Yeah, right. And like, <laughs> like you know, most have told me not to dig on the Rolling Stones. So it's, it's, it's one of those things, like, Method Man to me is an important part of my life experience in a way because... Again, I watched How High so many times, and I wasn't really even a stoner. I wasn't a stoner. Let me clarify that. <laughs> but, but I watched How High so much as a kid when it, from when it came out. And I mean, I was not really a kid anymore. I was a teen. But from when it came out to like now, I still watch it. It's still one of my favorite DVDs. Um, Wu-Tang Clan was the clear-cut biggest, first biggest influence on my rap fandom. Along I thought you were saying your rap career is like, whoa, step back. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, for me, like Method Man, I can't think of a person in rap history who I like more than Method Man. Um, I might give it up for like Chuck D, but it's but a Chuck D wouldn't be fun. Totally yeah. different appeal. Totally. And different don't appeal. get me wrong, Chuck D's awesome, but um, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to beat. Like, who would like, you rather hang out with among uh, all rappers all time? Biggie. Oh, but Biggie's scary a little bit yeah, too, right? Yeah, but like, I feel like he's Biggie like, didn't like to be crossed. No, I get that, but I wouldn't cross him because I would be like, <laughs> a total sick man. I would just be like, anything you want to do, Biggie. Like, I'll be the driver. I'll, whatever, whatever you want to do, like, I will take you. We can get T-Bone steak cheese eggs Me- and we'll Meth, supposedly, I, I've read that meth, like... RZA would just tell him to re-rap a verse and he'd just do it because he didn't care. Yeah, like, I buy that. RZA, Meth, and RZA's, RZA's like the last person I want to hang out with and I love RZA. Well, he's like kind of a control RZA. freak and he's like... Right, yeah. like he seems like he would have no fun. But, like, Meth just seems like he would just go with the flow. He might even let you pick what you do. <laughs> Method Man might let you choose what you're going to do that night. I know a guy who worked in a, on a studio album for Busta Rhymes said Busta Rhymes is a really fun guy to hang out Busta with. Busta and Meth are like... I mean, th- they, they made well, one they, of the greatest to, songs they, of yeah. all time. What's happening? Yeah. Love that song. Love and, that song. And, you know, they are two guys who, both of them, their solo careers, their solo albums, never quite matched how talented they were. Right. Because they were just chill and they enjoyed having fun and they made it fun. And so, yeah, I mean, I, that, I just wanted to give a shout out to, to Meth and uh, all the woo, the woo heads out there still wearing their woo wear with their killer bees uh, chains and whatnot. And, uh... Yeah, we're still doing it. Um, well, so I, I gotta let you go. We're, we're getting up against the time limit, but I want to know since we said we both agreed that Method Man probably not the best like technical rapper in the Wu Tang Clan. For you, who is the best rapper in the Wu Tang Clan? I think Raekwon's my favorite, but Ghostface definitely had the best career. All right, I'm gonna give you a hot take. It's Inspector Deck. Everyone says this because they No, only... not everyone says this. Everyone so, so, says no, it's Ghostface. Ghostface I, sounds too whiny to me. I don't all like right, his so, sound. So here's the thing with Inspector Deck. How much of his solo stuff have you listened to? I have actually listened to a pretty good deal of his okay. solo stuff. So there's one album that's like a... I forget that... Uncontrolled Substance? No. Uh, the next one um, was... I don't remember the name. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but it's yeah. like a southern rap album, which is random. Right? That like after like... Rapping over like RZA beats, he'd have these like horn sections and stuff. But uh, it's like it's like basically like a it sounds like a No Limit album or something. But it's good. He's good. I mean, it's not it's not 
So, it's not liquid swords. It's not. It's just not that. It's not that. So good. the thing with, with Inspector Deku is like he kills it on all those posse cuts because his style is so like aggressively forward. And he's smart. He's he so good. Smart. Yeah. I don't know. I just. I feel like every time I'm hearing like like I'm listening to a Wu Tang song and I'm like this verse is incredible and then I I'm like wait who is it oh and it's like it's the Rebel Ines and he tells you you know and I'm like wow I, yeah that's that's right it's him again he's the best yeah no I I love. I'm Ray, talking, talking body of work. There's no doubt to me. Uh, it's the Jizza or Raekwon. I don't. I don't Jizza, love. Jizza Go- chose bad beats for most of his career. That's yeah, but Liquid Swords is so good. Yeah. Um, and I think like Pro Tools is kind of a good album too. But uh, I don't. I don't like Ghostface as much as everyone else likes Ghostface. I find. I just find his actual voice kind of annoying. Right, because he's like so high pitched and like a little bit whiny, and I I, I don't get down. Ghostface, catch the blast of a right, hype verse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so for me, this podcast now features my Ghostface impression. Right. <laughs> um, so for me, so for me, it's if you're doing solo albums, a different thing. But if it's just like performance on Wu Tang songs, it's it's the Rebel INS all day long. Yeah, I mean I, I can respect that, and I think it's one of the one of the two guys on Cream. Because I, I tend to lean Raekwon takes over most songs he's on, I think. And I, I grew up on Nas and the Wu, and Raekwon was kind of the guy who bridged the the very small the very small bridge that was necessary to get from Nas to to Wu Tang was yeah, Raekwon, uh, right? Like hundred city blocks. Yeah, or <laughs> <laughs> like that very tiny amount of distance in their rap styles that was Raekwon, and so Raekwon for me was always like important in that way. You know, he was he was he's been a guest on so many classic rap albums. He's been a guest on My Beautiful Dark Fantasy, on Mob Deep's The Infamous, on uh, Equemini, on... Uh, so you want Raekwon as a guest because he comes in for one verse, he doesn't shake up the whole thing like Ghostface would. Ghostface would try to take over the track. Right, right. Raekwon comes in, delivers his 16. It's the best 16 on the album, but no one really, like... He's like, your, he's like your blue guy. Like, yeah. He's like your underrated guy who's like who's like averaging a triple-double, but right. he's not the top scorer on the right. team, and so you're not really worried yeah. about him. Love yeah. Raekwon. Love Inspector Deck. Love everybody in the Wu, except Capadonna. What do you got against Capadonna? Hmm. He has that one. He's, also he's got not, some very good verses. I don't think a full ever, or maybe later in the career, a full member of the Wu-Tang Clan, but definitely featured. In and out, in and out. In, in and, and out. out of the Wu, yeah. Okay. At, at different he was time. Feature, it was Triumph featuring yeah. Capadonna. Right. Yeah. But then on the W, he was a member, and then like he was out again by Iron Flag. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know enough about like your Master Killa and you oh. got like guys who didn't have a lot. Like Master Killa basically wasn't on that first album, right? Because he, he was on one verse. He was in jail, I think. Um, so yeah. you know, I can't I can't speak to his skills. But like, um, if you're talking core Wu Tang guys, I like him all. Love him. Um, I I gotta let you go. We've now talked about rap for like ten minutes for a sports podcast, but that's cool. That's Last what? time we talked about The Walking Dead, maybe we'll pull in some of those uh, Wu Tang Walking Dead overlap fans. Thank um, you very much for listening to my rant about Method Man. I appreciate it, and I would hope that the people at home appreciate the Wu and especially Method Man because he does good work. And if you don't know his work, check it out. It's good. You probably heard some of his songs. <laughs> and The Wire. One of his songs is called Method Man, so it's really easy to that's Google. That's the entry point. That's like it's basically <laughs> it's like that is that is definitely the entry point song for Method Man too because he's like he's doing like all the Method Man things like he's incorporating nursery rhymes and it's like this sing songy thing. Um, but you should yeah and just also. Uh, 
pretty good actor. Check him out on The Wire and other things. Maybe we can... Method Man, if you're out there listening, come on the podcast. Let's hang out. Uh, Adi, thanks for joining me. Uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud again. Uh, that is Adi Joseph. He is on Twitter at... Adi Joseph. That's A-D-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. That is how I would expect to spell it. I am on the Twitter at OG Ted Berg. This has been a good time. Thanks for listening, and have a good day.